Hello, this is Brighter Evening, a podcast where we discuss fun, food, and ideas to make the world brighter. Good evening. My name is Josh, and this is Brighter Evening. I hope this evening finds you well. Tonight we're going to talk about the ongoing pandemic of COVID-19. This is, of course, the first pandemic in the world in over 100 years. Um, And so there are very few people alive who remember the last one. There have been some other epidemics since then, of course, uh, and some other diseases. But I want to talk a little bit about this one and talk about what it means for you to stay stay safe. Uh, COVID-19 is short for Coronavirus Disease 2019. Uh, Coronavirus is a category of virus, uh, a particular shape of the virus when looked at under a microscope. Uh, And this is the 2019 version of it. The name of the virus itself is SARS-CoV-2. So it's Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome COVID Virus Number 2. SARS uh, and MERS are also um, coronavirus diseases that happened over the last couple decades. One started showing a lot of cases in the Middle East. Another one started showing cases in uh, in China. And so these are uh, diseases that have, have kind of gone through. And so they kind of color people's understanding a little bit about what's going on. Uh, but there's also been comparisons to the cold, to the flu. Um, and, and all of those are valid in different ways. Uh, the current confirmed cases right now is around 126,000. Um, that's based on the WHO report, the World Health Organization. Uh, there's a link to that in the show notes if you want to kind of go dig into that a little bit. It shows by country, it shows by uh, region. Um, in China, there's a lot more details, obviously, because this, that's where it started out, and they've been keeping track of things longer. There are some uh, some things to know with that number, though. That's confirmed cases. That's one where there's been testing. Many countries aren't doing as much testing as they'd like or as, maybe as much as they should. For example, the United States doesn't have enough testing kits available. Um, Italy, likewise, is uh, having a, a major epidemic there. There's millions of people in quarantine. Um, and so this is a disease that's in 110 territories, um, you know, Pretty much all of Italy's in quarantine. The city of Wuhan has been in a long-term quarantine now. There are parts of New York City that are in quarantine, um, and there are quarantines going on in other places. There's also reports of different uh, nations and national leaders either contracting the virus, um, taking different precautions. For example, in Iran, one of the the ministers of the government was, uh, I think it was the health minister, was on TV sweating, and it turned out he had the the virus, and it's been spreading a lot in Iran. there have been um, you know, stories that the French cabinet, when they meet uh, now, they had to move to a larger room that gave them enough um, space so that they could, they could all sit a meter apart. Um, there was a uh, press secretary for Brazil. I guess the, the press secretary from Brazil, he has uh, contracted COVID-19, and he, he met with President Trump. So I mean, this is a uh, this is something that's moving around. You know, uh, famous people are getting it. People you don't know are getting it. I found out one of my neighbors, uh, he his church had a, a an exposure, and uh, one of the a couple of people there did around shaking hands. 
So he's in self-quarantine right now. So we don't know what the actual uh, infection rate is. It's hard to get a good number on that, but it's certainly much higher than the 126,000 confirmed cases because we can't test as many people as we would want to. Um, among the confirmed cases, the death rate has been 2 to 3%. And if you look at it, it's kind of a logarithmic shaped graph uh, with age over about 30 or 40 contributing to the, the risk from the disease. And the older you get, the, the more risk it is, getting up to something like a 20% mortality rate for people who are old. So naturally, uh, this is something that I think everyone, everyone I know is either very concerned about it or dismissive. I think being concerned is, is probably the natural thing to do, and I think it's the right thing to do here. It's something you should take seriously. Um, that doesn't mean you have to change absolutely everything about what you're doing in your life, but there are some sensible things you can do to do your part to help people survive. So if we glimpse into the future, what does it hold? One thing we know about epidemics, and pandemics are a form of epidemic. An epidemic is uh, a disease spreading through a territory. A pandemic is a disease spreading through the whole whole world, um, they follow what's called a logistics curve. And in a logistics curve, you can see a picture of it in the show notes. Uh, there's, a, there's a link to, to it at the bottom. Um, but a, a logistics curve looks like a sideways S. You probably learned about it in high school science class or maybe middle school science class, learning about like populations of animals or something. It grows really fast, then it looks kind of diagonal straight in the middle, and then it starts to go down. The reason for this shape is that initially, each person who has the illness comes in contact with mostly people who don't have the illness. And there's going to be some number of them on average that gets it. And so that's going to cause it to grow exponentially, right? So if on average, right now for COVID-19, each sick person is infecting two other people. And that's happening at a rate of about uh, 15% per day or about doubling every four days, which is a pretty staggering growth statistic. It, so it, it, it's exponential, right? And if you, you multiply that out forever, right, it's 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512, 1,024, 2,048, 4,096, right? All of a sudden now, four days go by, it's 8,000. Four days go by, 16,000. Four days go by, 32,000. Four days go by, 64,000. Four days go by, 128,000. Within 20, 20 of those cycles, you can be up to a million. Within 30 of those, you can be up to a billion. Right, And there's no reason to think that that sort of growth isn't possible, certainly in the early phases we've been seeing it. If you look at the graph from the WHO, you can see it's, it's definitely doing a logarithmic growth. It's going to flatten out um, at the number of new cases is going to stop growing. Mathematically, that's called the inflection point, and that's an important thing. I remember during the 2008 financial crisis, there was a senator who was talking about it being a good day for America because the number of jobs lost was only some huge number. And the point he was making was a good one, right? We saw an inflection point. The number of the, the rate of job losses had stopped growing. Now, it was still a bad number, and it was a bad way to phrase it, but it was a good point. The number of job losses slowing, or in this case, the number of new infections slowing, is a positive sign, because that means that 
instead of the rate of growth growing, the rate of growth is slowing. And that has to come well before the, um, the growth of the d disease can slow. Right, so it's, it's a second order growth, right? When you're seeing that, that's your, your logarithmic growth. That's crazy. But once that starts to slow down, it becomes linear and then sublinear, right? It's growing slower than a line. That's when you see that top of the graph start to flatten out. Um, and so we're looking for that inflection point. That's when we'll know things are starting to turn the corner. But when you look at the numbers around the inflection point, it's not going to look like something has changed. Right? It's a small change, but as we start to see that number decline, that's when things are heading in the right direction. So how can you stay safe? Well, it's basically just a handful of things. Right, You need to reduce your exposure, have good hygiene, keep your immune system strong, and globally we need to think about healthcare capacity. So uh, going back to what we were talking about a second ago, any disease has some percentage chance of infecting someone if you're around it. And it's generally going to be based on their distance, right? And they're saying for COVID-19, the radius is about one meter. So if you stay one meter away from other people, you're very likely to, or a lot less likely to get it. And that's why the French cabinet was changing their meetings so that if one of them does happen to be infected, they don't infect the other members of the you know, senior government offices. Um, and so if you think about that, right, you've got this infection percentage, it could be 2%, it could be 90%, it could be 40%, right, it, it just depends on, on the disease. I don't know what that percentage is for COVID-19, I just know that that sort of risk radius is about 3 feet. Um, and the other thing is the number of people you encounter, it's a multiplication, right, so if you can get 15 people, or 15% 15 of chance that you get people sick, if you encounter 100 people, you're going to get 15 of them sick. If you encounter... 10 of them, then, you know, you'll get one to two sick. If you only encounter one person, there's a good chance you won't get anyone sick. So the fewer people you can encounter, you're going to have a, the, the better, right? You're going to have this linear decrease in infection. Um, you can reduce your chance of infection and significantly improve your odds of staying away from it if you can also work with um, with with hygiene, right? So you can you we can change both numbers, right? We can we can change both numbers because with this concept they're talking about now of social distancing, which is staying away from other people, staying away from groups, uh, that gives you the capability to reduce the number of people you're exposed to. Following good hygiene practices reduces your chance of picking up the disease, and so we're we're, we're goal is to reduce the infection rate and reduce exposure and by doing that we can start to take a dent out of new cases so let's let's go into that and and we're going to talk about why reducing the number of new cases is so important because it, it may be the case that a lot of people will still get this but it's still important to do so hygiene what does it mean to do good hygiene or to have good hygiene in this circumstance it's the same stuff you should always be doing during cold and flu season it's stuff that works washing your hands or sanitizing them um, that's the biggest one. And so when you go wash your hands, right, um, there's two different things, right? Like if you have um, uh, some kind of alcohol-based sanitizer, it works by the alcohol taking the outside of the virus off and that deactivates it. And so uh, 
you know, that's that's Purell that you can't find on the shelves right now. It's rubbing alcohol, which seems to be kind of off the shelves as well. Um, you can go to the liquor store and get some vodka as long as it is, uh, I think, 180 proof. Um, you need to have it pretty high, maybe 170 proof. Um, as long as it's it's super high uh, concentration alcohol, 70% or greater, it will be effective at denaturing the outside of the virus. Uh, and that, that'll deactivate it. Washing your hands doesn't kill germs. It works a very different way. And it's important to understand that because soap is the best way to deal with this. Germs stick to your hands. And specifically, germs, we're talking bacteria and viruses. I'm just going to use the term germs here. And this applies to COVID-19. They stick to your hands. They stick specifically, generally, to the oil in your hands and, and any other grime you might have on your hands, right, if your hands are dirty. And so you get soap on your hands. It's got detergents in it. The detergents break down oil. When you rub your hands together, so you need to wash your hands for 20 seconds, you rub your hands together, what you're doing is mechanically moving them around. And you've got these suds on your hand, and they kind of pick up the the denature or the sorry the degreased sections of of your hand get that oil off and it traps it up and then you put your hands in the water and the germs get washed away down the water down the drain now i had heard a a thing a story that when you put soap on your hands the the base in it ionizes the germs right ionizes the dirt whatever and it goes and it ionizes your hand, and so they'll, they'll both have negative polarity from the base, and that'll cause a certain amount of repulsion by the, uh, you know, by your hands to the germs, and that's one of the reasons they get down the sink. I went and looked for some information on that. I couldn't find anywhere that said that that's true, but the nature of turning the the germs and stuff into a colloid, which is where stuff that's not dissolved, but it's uh, suspended in a liquid. So, you know, you kind of imagine stirring sand in, in water or something like that. That's a colloid. Um, it, it turns it into a colloid, and, and so you get all the germs kind of washing out, and it does a remarkably good job. There was a, a picture some time back of someone who had not washed their hands, touched some bread, and then they washed their hands and touched some bread. It was like a high school science experiment. And the difference between the two is is pretty stark, right? There's a large amount of just, you know bacteria and viruses and stuff that are on our hands, and if we wash them, that stuff goes down the drain and it's not there to harm us. Um, so when you wash your hands, the key is get a decent amount of soap, scrub on your hands for 20 seconds, and obviously you're going to focus on the interior of your hands because that's where you touch most of the stuff with, but you want to touch the back of your hands not just the front, um, get in between your fingers, get by your fingernails, and get the area between your index finger and your thumb. That's an area a lot of people overlook when washing their hands. Um, I actually just count to, to 20, you know, slowly in my head when I wash my hands to make sure I do it, but a lot of people sing the happy birthday song, I think it's three times or something like that, or you can sing the ABC song. Um, I don't know, whatever, whatever works for you. But just make sure you wash your hands with soap and water. Even a little bit of soap and water is better than, you know, even if you do it for a little bit, you're going to get a much better wash on your hands than if you don't use soap. So it's it's really important. Um, and if you, if you absolutely need to make soap, 
the ingredients that you need are some kind of fat, ashes, and hot water. You can look up instructions online. I've never done it myself, but it's not that hard to make soap. People have been making it for about 3,000 years. Um, so, you know, you certainly are capable of doing it if you need to. I don't think you'll need to, right? You can you can always buy soap, and I, I don't think that the store shelves are going to stay empty forever. Um, one thing you need to do is keep your hands off your face. This is something I think is super hard to do because you sit there and you put your head on your chin, you know, and you sit there and you think and you scratch your nose and you got, I don't know, I've, I think I've got an itchy nose most of the times, right? So I sit there and I want to scratch the tip of my nose or rub my ear or something. Do what you can to minimize that. Someone made a funny web app that will, um, you go to the website, give it camera permissions and it'll watch you. And anytime your hand is by your face, it'll make an annoying noise. Uh, so you can do that. Um, another thing to do is keep surfaces clean. Um, so key things are going to be like doorknobs, light switches, um, countertops, keyboards, all the kind of stuff you touch regularly. Disinfect your phone regularly. All those sort of things are going to reduce your exposure. Um, and there are lots of cleaners that can kill viruses and bacteria. You know, there's the Lysols, and uh, you can you can make a bleach solution. So uh, one tablespoon of bleach with about a gallon of water is generally enough to kill things. I don't know if it's uh, sufficient for this particular disease, so you'll need to do some some research on that. Last time I checked, uh, the jury was still out on that, but that is in general a good solution for cleaning uh, and disinfecting surfaces. It's very inexpensive to make. Um, it's also possible to to use it for um, for some other things, which we'll talk about in a minute here. Um, Let's talk about keeping your immune system strong. So if you if you talk to a public health person, they're going to tell you to go to sleep and drink a lot of water because your body needs water to expel contaminants. And sleep is when your body is strongest at fighting things. So if you get good rest, you drink a lot of water, you're going to go a long way to keeping your immune system strong. And you're going to want a, a strong immune system because in the end, with viruses, that's the only thing that can beat viruses is, is our bodies right? There's there's no real medicines that can cure viruses like there are for bacterias, right? Antibiotics just don't work. So keeping your body strong is the key. So that's sleep, drinking water, and to the extent you can, keeping your stress low. If you panic too much about this, that's probably going to make things worse. So, you know, watch something funny on TV, um, you know, take some deep breaths, just try to relax a little bit, um, you know, stay in good shape, you know, do do uh, some regular exercise, that kind of stuff. It's going to help help your immune system stay strong. Don't overdo it on anything, right? Um, you know, don't don't go out and run like six marathons if that's not something you normally do. You'll probably hurt yourself, and if you don't, you're going to put your body under extra stress. So just you know, good good common sense fitness stuff. Um, all right, so we've talked about immune system and hygiene. We've talked about this idea of social distancing, and I'm not really trying to target this whole discussion on the people who would make policies like that, whether it's uh, school administrators or church leaders or things like that, um, you know, community leaders. They're going to make decisions about what's best. But you can make the choice, right, in terms of social distancing if you want to add risk into your, your life during this time. Um, if you're going to, you know, go participate in things in larger group settings or invite people over, you have to just kind of consider those risks because as those, as you think about those risks, you know, you, you could be encountering 
the the disease. You may not know it, right? Someone may someone may be asymptomatic, and so you're just sitting there thinking, well, and so in in your thoughts about this, one of the common things I've heard people say is, well, you know, chances are we're going to get it anyways, or you know, it's it's not a big deal if you do get it, and that may be true for a lot of people. It isn't a big deal, especially younger people. But there are people even in their 40s that are having very serious complications. And hospitalization for this virus is very high. And that takes us to healthcare capacity, right? This is sort of the global thing we need to consider and why you need to do your part. There's only a limited amount of hospital beds. In the United States, it's about 2.3 beds per thousand people. Um, it's about that in many places in Europe. South Korea, I don't know if they count it differently or what, they're like 12 beds per thousand people. But either way, that's a limited amount. And when this gets really bad, um, if you're one of the people who has a bad version of it, whether that's because you're a smoker, a smoker because you're overweight, because you're over the age of 50, uh, and you happen to be someone who gets a bad version of this, the care that they give you in the hospital is what's called supportive care. They can't directly treat the disease. They can only help your body stay alive so it can fight. And the way that they're going to do that because of the se severe respiratory issues is through providing oxygen or even providing a ventilator, which kind of helps your body breathe. That is a, a big thing. Um, it There's only a limited number of hospital beds. There's only a limited number of respirators. There's only a limited number of oxygen masks that are available at any one time. There's a limited number of doctors and nurses. And so you can think about the healthcare system as having an overall capacity. It's not exactly a fixed number because sometimes it could go higher, sometimes it could go lower, depending on things. But if we say that throughout the course of this, 50 million people get this virus. If 50 million people got it within two months, the healthcare system of just about every country that has it is going to be very overwhelmed. If it's 50 million people over the course of three years, then that's something much more manageable. And so even if your efforts don't 100% work and you still end up getting it, or people you know still end up getting it, if we can flatten the curve, we can slow the exponential phase of this virus, we can maintain healthcare capacity, and that is the important thing. Um, and we need, to, we need to keep the more at-risk people safe. That's got to be a priority because they are probably going to need more medical care, right? So if you're around elderly people, find ways to reduce their risk. You know, if you're in contact with a lot of people, don't go hang out with grandma and grandpa because you're putting them at risk. And if they get the disease, they're more likely to need the care and it's going to be more intensive, right? So try to keep, try to keep that in mind and, and, and try to keep people safe. Um, and I think working together as a, as a community, working together as a country, working together as, as the human race, we can do what we can to help maintain appropriate healthcare capacity. So finally, I want to talk about um, how you can prepare. And I hope that you've already had some, some thoughts about this and already done some preparation. Judging from what's been going on in the store the last few days, seems like a lot of people have had this idea. Um, I just want to talk about a few things. I'd like to do a future episode at some point about um, emergency preparedness in general. But just a few a few thoughts here. The first is with food. Um, you're probably at some point not going to be able to get your normal foods, whether because you know you like to go to a restaurant, that restaurant's closed, 
um, you know, there's uh, supply chain issues, you know, things aren't getting delivered, what have you. Um, so you need to plan for that. You should be looking at um, canned goods and dried goods. Um, canned goods, everyone kind of understands what the deal with the canned goods are. You can just, you know, open it up and eat it, and they stay good for a few decades if they're kept at reasonable temperatures and conditions. Um, dried goods are a little bit different. So think about rice, dried beans, oatmeal, stuff like that. Um, your body as an adult probably needs somewhere around 2,000 calories, but you can get by with 1,600 calories a day. So that's actually quite a lot when you have to store it instead of just eating a bunch of uh, French fries like I, you know, like we're all prone to. Uh, and so to to manage that, you need to start thinking about your food consumption a little bit differently. Um, if you have a pound of dried beans or a pound of dried rice, there is roughly 1,600 calories per pound of, of dried material. Um, oatmeal is about half that. Um, beans and rice together uh, provide a, a pretty decent amount of protein. Um, you get all the amino acids you need if you eat both of them. Um, and so you can take your dry goods and your canned goods and kind of mix them together, get some sauces, get some spices, find ways to make the food palatable because there, there may be a few weeks that you're, you know, you're thinking about that. Um, you may also want to think about freezing stuff. If you're uh, freezing your foods, um, you know, the last long time in the freezer and, and be good. So, you know, whether that's frozen meals or, you know, frozen meat, frozen vegetables, frozen whatever, all that stuff is, um, is stuff that you can keep. I know that a lot of stuff is empty on store shelves right now, but you can go get uh, what you need, you know, as it, as it comes back in. Um, and you could also consider things like, um, you know, powdered drinks and stuff like that that can be at least handy, right? You get tired of, you know, not having anything but water to drink. Maybe, you know, make some Kool-Aid and that tastes better or something. You know, it gives you, gives you again, some variety. Um, in terms of cleaning, soaps are good. Any kind of soap, whether it's, uh, you know, dish soap or hand soap, dish detergent, laundry detergent, shampoo, bar soap, all those are good and have their uses. Um, soaps are somewhat interchangeable. If if you ask me, like, hey, you're not going to be able to have any kind of soap to do anything, whether it's shampoo or whatever, except for one for the next month, what would you pick? I'd pick Dawn soap. Dawn is the most versatile soap. You can use to wash your hair. You can use to wash your body. You can clean glasses with it. You can You can clean dishes with it. It's a great detergent. So it does very well at removing grease, removing germs from your hands. It's uh, it lathers well. Um, so you know it's a it's a good thing in terms of flexibility. Um, so the only thing you can't do with it is run it in your um, washing machine. But you can't wash clothes with it. You just can't do it in a washing machine because uh, it'll it'll set up too much. So something to think about. Um, you know that that stuff's going to work well. Um, rubbing alcohol obviously is a pretty versatile thing because you can use it as a cleanser. You can use it to disinfect wounds, um, move around. There's also bleach based cleaners. Some of these come in little wipes. Some of them, you know, come in sprays again, useful to disinfect surfaces. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, bleach can be used to create a disinfecting solution. That's very inexpensive. Um, so 
you know, think of ways to keep stuff clean. Um, also talk about water treatment. Um, I think it's unlikely with this that municipal water supplies are going to be bad. They're not going to be potable. But if there is a boil advisory in your war- in your area, right, they, you know, the county sends you a message or they say on the radio, hey, in such and such county, we're recommending you boil water. Just boil water. If you boil for three minutes, um, even at the altitude of Denver, you'll have it hot enough for long enough to kill viruses and uh, bacteria. Your main risk of eating viruses through water is if the viruses are inside a bacteria and the bacteria aren't going to live much above, uh, I think it's 140 or 180 degrees. So if you bring it up to a full boil, you're going to be able to kill all of those. The the viruses you're worried about, or sorry, the bacteria you're worried about are Cryptosporidium and Giardia. Um, those, are, those are the ones that typically make people very ill and um, you know, can, can be life-threatening because you can get dehydrated. Um, and those are easy enough to deal with by boiling. Um, you can also, you know, think about filtering the water, never filter, never use your filter until you've done another treatment first though. So if you're going to put it through like a Brita filter, make sure you've boiled it first and let it cool. Um, that way you don't get bacteria into the Brita filter. Um, cause the, that activated carbon, it's just not small enough to block all the different viruses and bacteria that you would want to. And then they can start growing inside the, the filter chamber. Um, it is also possible to treat water chemically. There are a few options for that. Um, you know, there's like the iodine tablets. Um, there's colloidal silver. Both of those are okay in small quantities, uh, but both of them over the long term could be poisonous uh, in different ways. Uh, the iodine tablets, you know, you can get iodine poisoning from too much iodine. It's pretty simple. Colloidal silver can turn you blue. No joke. Look it up. Um, when I talk about emergency preparedness, I want to go more into that one because I think that's really interesting. Um, so if, if you do need to treat water, my recommendation is to just boil it and call it good. Uh, another thing to keep think about is uh, drive-throughs and deliveries. They're going to help you reduce your time of exposure, and they're going to keep you a little bit further away so you can get closer to that one meter length that you're looking for. Um, you know, especially if you're getting deliveries of like groceries and stuff that are packaged up, your risk is going to be lower. And, uh, you know, you can kind of just use that as part of your, your planning. Uh, make sure that you, you know, try to keep certain things in stock at your house. Um, last thing I think you should prepare for is probably cabin fever. I think we're all going to start feeling it after a while because they're going to be shutting some stuff down in some areas. I know a number of churches have already canceled services. Um, some schools are closing some places. They're you know, certainly canceling concerts. They're, they're doing a lot of things that kind of take you away from the normal parts of civil society that you normally interact with. So, you know, what are some ways to deal with cabin fever? Well, obviously there's movies and TV. Those are just fun ways to kind of get your, your mind off of things and, and, you know, think about something else that's fun and, and just kind of take you out of the moment. Same thing with reading a good book. Um, you know, a nice fiction book can kind of, you know, take you on an adventure and, and can take some time. Um, there's other types of streaming aside from streaming movies and TV or, or you know, watching TV shows and movies on, on uh, actual te- television, um, like, you know, YouTube. Uh, you can listen to all the Brighter Evening podcasts. Um, tell all your friends too. That's what I would recommend. Um, another thing you could do is do video calls with your friends. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're at home with a family, whether you're, 
know, living with your parents or you are a parent or you're married or whatever, you're going to have a friend there with you no matter what, someone to talk to. You're not going to feel quite so isolated, but you will get some cabin fever. Um, if you're alone, you're definitely going to be feeling pretty isolated. And even if you are there with your family, there's going to be a certain level of feeling just like, man, there's no one here but us few. So getting on a video call with some of your friends from time to time, it's going to make things feel better because you can kind of see the person, you can, you know, talk. My recommendation for video calls, honestly, would be sit down at a table with, like, the, a laptop in front of you if you have one, um, and have the other person do the same thing so, you, so they're about the right size of a, of a person. And, or, you know, if you've got a desktop that's a little bit bigger of a monitor, even better. That's going to give you the most kind of lifelike experience and you can kind of interact. Um, you know, I could I could probably talk at length about what could and might go wrong with internet connectivity in a time like this. But my expectation is that, um, you know, there's not a big challenge with social distancing inside of data centers. Data centers aren't typically heavily staffed anyways, so if there are, are equipment problems that require in-person maintenance, I don't think there's a high risk for the, the people working in data centers. Uh, last thing is board games and card games. Again, if you're you know at home with your family, you know uh, you, it's amazing what you can come up with with just a deck of cards, right? You go look it up. There's dozens and hundreds of different card games that you can play. Um, if you're going to be snowed in, and you could pick one thing. That would be the thing. Uh, board games, likewise, it's a good way to get everyone kind of talking, having fun. Um, yeah, right, it's a common thing people do at kind of parties, right? They get together and play some board games together and have a good time. So having some of these things handy and available, um, toys for kids, right? All that kind of stuff, it's going to help to pass the time and, and help to have some fun. If you've got a yard, you know, think about what you can do in the backyard, whether it's, you know, playing catch, playing soccer, running around, uh, you know, maybe you've got a little playground equipment back there. I don't know. If you've got a yard and you can take advantage of it, you know, it's just going to be another thing that's going to give you a chance to change scenery and and feel something a little bit different. Well, I hope that this has been uh, informative for you and has helped you kind of think through what your what your plan is and how you're going to do your part to help keep everyone safe. I appreciate you listening. Stay safe out there. My name is Josh. This is Brighter Evening. Thank you for listening to Brighter Evening. I hope I've made your evening brighter. You can subscribe to us by RSS on Google or Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts. For more information on the show or this episode, please visit brighterevening.com.